Hello and welcome to Frontiers, a podcast that gets intimate with cultural pioneers and business innovators to hear their inspiring stories. Brought to you by the Upside Innovation Studio. In this episode, Bob Roth shares his journey to bring transcendental meditation to the frontiers of medicine, education, and the workplace. We explore the growing wellness industry and the healing role meditation can play in a tech-consumed world. My name is Bob Roth, and I'm the CEO of the David Lynch Foundation, and I've been teaching transcendental meditation for almost 50 years. I grew up in a very politically-minded family in the 50s and 60s in the San Francisco Bay Area. I like to say that I knew that I was a Democrat even before I knew I was Jewish, (laughs) that my religion was politics. And when we talked over dinner, it was always what was going on in the political climate, whether it was Kennedy and and, uh, Nixon or Goldwater. And so that was my focus. And then I worked for Bobby Kennedy when I was in high school. And I wanted to work with him to change the world. And I saw him speak in San Francisco with 2,000 other people at the San Francisco Civic Auditorium and on June 1st, 1968, and I remember looking around the room thinking, not political, I was, you know, Democrat, Republican. I thought, that's how we're going to change the world. And then four days later, he was assassinated. And that experience for me was completely traumatizing. I'd never known death like that. He wasn't just a figure. He was a really important person in my life and a light that I sort of wanted to follow. So I decided after he was killed that when I would go to university and Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, in fall of 1968, which was the epicenter of crazy town, that I would become a U.S. senator and um, like Bobby Kennedy and try to save the world. So my background was in politics, but my background was wanting to change the world. And then it took me about a month at Berkeley to realize that politics was never going to heal the soul of the nation. I knew a guy who was doing TM, and he was down-to-earth and regular and nothing crazy about him, and I decided I would give it a try. So I learned it, took an hour a day over four days to learn, and from almost my first meditation, it was so relaxing, so relaxing and rejuvenating. I thought, oh, this is a tool I'm going to teach those kids. So that was June 28th, 1969. You know, a few years later, I studied with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and since then, I've taught it at prisons, and I've taught it in inner city schools, and I've taught it professional athletic teams, and I've taught it um, in businesses, Apple Computer. And 15 years ago, I had become friends with David Lynch, and I said to David, all these years, I've really wanted to bring this to kids who don't have the resources of the time or the accessibility to learn to meditate. Let's start a foundation, raise money, and bring it to kids. And that was 15 years ago, and now we've brought it to over a million kids, inner-city school kids all over the world. We work with veterans and their families who suffer from post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury, and we work with women who are survivors of domestic violence and HIV clinics and prisons and uh, Native American reservations, wherever there are vulnerable at-risk populations. David Lynch has a great story. He learned to meditate 
back in 1973, he and I have become good friends and we've traveled all over the world. And he's an extraordinary human being as well as just a brilliant creative mind. And he had learned to meditate in 1973. He tells the story that he had everything going for him. He had uh, f- money to do his first film. He was had a film studio, homemade film studio, but in Beverly Hills. He had everything, and yet he wasn't happy. There was something hollow inside, even though he had all the outer. And he was trying to figure out why. And he had always heard this statement that, um, as he tells the story, you're always told true happiness lies within. But he said it's kind of a cruel statement because they don't tell you where the within is and they don't tell you how to get there. And then he'd heard meditation might be something that would do that. And he didn't know what meditation to use. And the story he tells is he got a phone call one morning from his sister and there was something different in her voice, dramatically different than when he talked to her a few days before. And he said, what's going on? And she said, well, I learned Transcendental Meditation. He said just hearing her voice was enough for him to decide that he wanted to learn. 2005, I said to him, I got bold. I said, David, I'd like to start a foundation. I want to raise money so we can bring this to kids for free. And he said, fine. And I said, I want to put it in your name. And he said, fine. I don't think he thought the thing was going to take off. And the next thing you knew, we had a foundation, a 501c3 legal status. And we started. And now we're in 35 countries. And we're partnering in the United States with VA hospitals and and military bases and public schools and private schools and and um, across the board businesses. So that's how it took off. There's so many misunderstandings about what meditation is in general and what is transcendental meditation. I'd like to take a moment and I use an analogy of an ocean where you're on a little boat and you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or whatever and all of a sudden you get these giant 30, 40, 50 foot high waves, big waves and you're in the little boat and you could look up and you think, oh my God, the whole ocean is in upheaval. But if you did a cross section of the ocean out there, you'd realize, well, there's 30, 40, 50 foot high waves but the ocean in reality is over a mile deep. And while the nature of the ocean may be turbulent on the surface, the nature of the ocean at its depth is pretty darn silent. So we use that as an analogy for the mind. The surface of our mind is the active thinking mind. Some people call it the monkey mind. I like to call it the gotta, 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 gotta do this and I gotta do that, all the gotta's. And it's a natural human desire to say, I like to have some inner calm, some inner clarity, some inner equanimity, some inner power, and the operative word is inner. The question is, is there such a thing as an inner and how do you get there? So with transcendental meditation, we hypothesize that deep within every human being, underlying all the noise, there's a field that's already settled and quiet and wide awake and peaceful and wide awake, source of our unlimited creativity, unlimited intelligence, unlimited happiness, is what the meditation texts you say. And transcendental meditation through the use of a mantra, which is a word or a sound that has no meaning, and taught by personally, individually, by a certified teacher. You're taught, you're given a mantra and you're taught how to use it effortlessly to just dive within and experience that great, quiet calm that lies within. And when we do that, according to research, your body gains a state of rest deeper than sleep, and there's a whole constellation of unbelievably valuable 
health-promoting benefits that take place from that experience. Other forms of meditation called focused attention, mindfulness, they're called cognitive processes. They deal more on the level of the waves, calming the waves, different attitude towards the waves. Transcendental meditation, we access the silence that lies within, and they're not opposed to each other. Like vitamin A and vitamin C are not opposed to each other. They can complement each other. Working hard and pushing is counterproductive, ultimately. There's nothing sustainable about that. You get burned out. And yes, you can burn out and then you can crash and rest and then you can burn out and crash and rest. But as you get older, that recovery takes longer and longer. So the thing that I've learned and talking to the most successful people and the most creative people, whether it's Paul McCartney, who's been meditating now over 50 years, or Ray Dalio, the great business leader who's been meditating 50 years, or Jerry Seinfeld, a comedian, or people that I know, is that by taking care of myself, by meditating regularly, by accessing that calm, by eating properly, it's a different world. Life becomes more of a continuum and more of a flow rather than explosions and recoveries and explosions and recoveries. And also in that state of restful alertness, even management ideas of how to resolve problems. There's so many books on how to deal with stressed environments and how people are stressed and I'm stressed. More and more businesses are offering healthy food. More and more businesses are either having a gym on site or access to a gym. And more and more businesses are also offering transcendental meditation, I think meditation in general, but transcendental meditation to their employees and even having meditation rooms. Ray Dalio, who runs the largest hedge fund in the world, has a place where any of his 1,600 employees at any time during the day can go do 20 minutes and do TM. And I think when you look at the impact that stress is having on, I mean, bottom line, healthcare costs is just crippling governments, crippling companies, crippling families, crippling individuals. And when you recognize that 80 to 90% of all illnesses are either caused by stress or exacerbated by stress, it makes practical sense, business sense to offer um, the opportunity for people to meditate in the workplace. Many years ago, I taught Oprah Winfrey to meditate. That's not a name-droppy thing. Was She was doing a story on TM, and she asked me to teach her and her small team. And then she liked it so much that she opened it up to all 400 of her employees. And there was a big transformation in um, productivity and job performance. But I think for me, more importantly, happiness. Um, better feeling in the workplace. It's not like you learn to meditate and then you just, you know, you're like a rat who's working harder. No, there's, a, there's a, an inner equanimity. You're actually enjoying your workplace rather than just dreading it. I think skepticism and I think cynicism about meditation or transcendental meditation is very healthy. There's so much garbage out there in the name of meditation or mindfulness these days. It's become a fad. It's become a trend. There's mindfulness shampoos. There's mindfulness teas. It's just if there was a meaning to it, it's sort of gone. And um, I myself am a very skeptical person. I love science. I love data. I love facts. I don't particularly go with just woo-woo stuff. I mean, I like big ideas. 
I'm not a cynic in the sense of if I was a cynic, I'd never get out of bed. But I'm very skeptical about things. And I think it's healthy, and I think we live in a scientific age. And if a person is skeptical and genuine, then they look at the data. They look at the, when it comes to Transcendental Meditation, 400 studies published in top peer-reviewed journals, research funded by the National Institutes of Health, research funded by the U.S. Department of Defense, uh, conducted at Harvard Medical School and UCLA Medical School and Stanford, uh, published in the American Medical Association journals. So the wonderful thing about Transcendental Meditation for me because I, I am quite skeptical, is there's no religion associated with it. There's no philosophy. There's no change in lifestyle. Um, you can be any religion or no religion. Again, gravity doesn't depend upon religion. You can be an atheist and turn on a light switch, and you can be a devout religious person, turn on a light switch, and the light goes on. So when we talk about TM, we're talking about that kind of a technique. So they used to think when it came to creativity that there were two hemispheres to the brain. If you're a creative person, your right hemisphere was seen to be the you're the creative type, you're spatial, you're intuitive, you're holistic. And if the left hemisphere of the brain is you're the number cruncher, you're the scientist, you're the analyst. And they're sort of seen to be exclusive and you're one or the other. Well, it turns out that's not true anymore. It turns out creativity is not found in a, in a hemisphere of the brain, in a region of the brain. Creativity is actually the product of the functioning of networks and connections within the brain. So the understanding now is that there are three main networks or connections within the brain that fuel creativity or the, or the base of creativity. One is called the attention network. And the attention network is in the front of the brain. And that's a part of the brain that can focus, concentrate, sustain um, task-positive work, which you need in the creative process. You can't just have a spacey idea. You have to be able to focus, sometimes for long periods of time. The second network is interesting. So the focus network, that's when your brain is working really hard. And after you've been working really hard for many hours, you feel tired, physically tired, even though you haven't done anything physically. But your brain has burned up a lot of energy. It's hard. So then your brain is resting. And so then the uh, scientists wanted to know, well, what happens when your brain rests, when you're not working, when your brain isn't functioning? What does your brain default to? And it was a sort of a diminishing to, well, you're, you know, you're, what's your brain default to? It's working, it's productive, and now it's just spacing out. The most creative people in the world have both functioning simultaneously the ability to innovate, and the ability to focus. And that's what Transcendental Meditation does. I think the boom of interest in meditation, mindfulness as a whole is a good thing because it's making the idea of meditation um, more mainstream, more palatable, the idea of mental health and meditation associated with mental health. I think it's very important. The idea that all of your problems, stress problems, are not going to be addressed by just running a mile or jogging 10 miles or lifting weights or eating food. That's addressing stress from the neck down, health from the neck down. And this brain is a three-pound organ, and we want to access health from there too so that overarching picture of meditation positive but 
it's pretty crazy now. I mean, they're just sort of everybody just throwing stuff against spaghetti against the wall and see what what sticks. And there's billion dollar evaluations of for apps for which there is no real proof that they do anything substantive. There's no evidence of something over time. The focus of TM today, and particularly the focus of the David Lynch Foundation, is to treat TM like a pharmaceutical company would treat the introduction of a new medicine to handle a cancer or some chronic disorder, anxiety or depression. And what a pharmaceutical company does is they put it through three levels of, of uh, testing. They have a phase one trial with 60 people, and then they have a phase two trial with 200 people. And then if that works and it's positive, then they do a phase three trial with 200 people in different locations. And then if they get the results, then the insurance companies will reimburse. And then the government will reimburse, put it into the healthcare system. So that's what we're doing is raising the funds to do those kind of third-party rigorous studies that will make clear that forget the verbiage, forget the marketing, forget the fad and the trend. Look at the hard data. And if it's significant enough and dramatic enough and really helps people with no bad side effects, then all the other stuff's going to fall away. I'm very concerned that we're about to lose an entire generation. And it's not a generation that's going to get lost to opioid addiction or suicide or anxiety or depression or whatever. Actually, it's more fundamental than that. We're going to lose a generation to stress, to trauma. The number two cause of death in America among teenagers is suicide. And the fastest growing is girls 13 to 16. 10 million children on antidepressive medication for which there's no safety testing. But what are the causes of this? So the work of the David Lynch Foundation is to bring quiet time to schools all over the country where kids begin and end each school day with a few minutes of meditation. And the data so far has shown profound benefits from improved academic performance and graduation rates to decreased suspensions and expulsions and um, one of the things I find most interesting that's overlooked the kids, research shows the kids are happier and isn't that great because there's this great quote from uh, uh, William Butler Yeats who said um, education shouldn't be about filling a bucket, it should be about lighting a fire and I think quiet time helps light that fire whole role of technology in the world today and the role of TM with technology. Um, we're doing a quiet time program in a school and the principal came to me and uh, he said, you know the 15 minutes that those kids are sitting with their eyes closed meditating twice a day is the only time they have quiet in their life because they go to sleep listening to music and they wake up and they're playing games and everything, noise, 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 noise. And it's actually stunting cognitive growth. It's impairing brain functioning. And he said that just adding that two times, 15 minutes, twice a day, 
We have all this noise and all this excitation, all this frenzy. And then 15 minutes, you just sit and you close your eyes and just effortlessly access in that ocean analogy, the choppy waves on the surface and that silence within. Incredibly healing. And it's like rebooting the system of your brain. Success for me will be when there is sufficient research that clearly demonstrates the profound benefits to mental, physical, emotional, and behavioral health of taking a few minutes twice a day to close your eyes and access that deep calm and silence which already exists within everyone anyway. You don't have to believe in it. It's there. But understanding the value of that so that it becomes a priority in our healthcare system, in our educational system, in the way we um, train our military, in the way we educate our young, in the way we um, put our workforce to work. That, for me, will be a great legacy. One time David Lynch was talking about film, making films, and he said, one thing you have to do in life is you have to have final cut. As a filmmaker, you have to be the one who gets to decide what goes on the screen. And he said, if you have final cut and you make a film and it fails, then you failed and you feel badly that it failed. But if you don't have final cut and someone comes along and they say, well, you should do this, 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 this against your best intention and it fails, he said, you failed twice, once because you failed because what you did didn't work and also because you gave up Final Cut. Hello, this is Bob Roth. You're listening to Frontiers, a podcast by The Upside. The Upside is an innovation studio that partners with the world's leading brands, helping them navigate frontiers at the intersection of culture, commerce, and creativity. Find out more at theupside.net. And if you liked the episode, why not subscribe or tell a friend?